I pray that each one of us knows that Jesus loves us because he really does. Really, really, he does. And that's the greatest gift. And what a bunch of worship songs. Uh, Believe it or not, this is no coincidence and unplanned. We're going to start in Revelation tonight. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to go backwards. That's okay, I'll get there. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So we're kind of parked in Genesis 9. Um, but uh, the Lord has his way, and I pray that I'm faithful and I'm hearing what he wants to say. Um, so to preface this, uh, in Genesis 9, the word talks about um, the rainbow as a sign of the Lord's covenant, and it also talks about the covenant. So as good as the Bible is, and as informative as it is, the Lord has a way of intertwining messages throughout every book. And there are cross-references all the way throughout the Bible. And um, Lord willing, we'll look at a few cross-references tonight. So let's pray. So Father, thank you again for gathering us here tonight. Thank you for Daylight Savings Time just to give us some extra daylight, Lord. It's such a blessing to see the sunshine um, and all the things of your creation, Lord, and to gather with one another, your created children, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, that you fearfully and wonderfully made each one of us, Lord. And the spirit within us, Lord, longs to hear your voice and longs to be with you. And Lord, if you would please just open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears tonight to hear your word, to be able to read it, to consume it, Lord, to our health and to our encouragement and to our edification, Lord. We do thank you, Lord, that you have given us an instruction manual and that you've shown us from the beginning to the end of our lives here on earth, as well as on into eternity, Lord, what your plan really is for us. We thank you for loving us, and we praise you, and this is the day you have made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. In your name, Jesus, amen. So, uh, let's see. Okay, let's start at Revelation 10. I'll try to make this quick. I feel like I have a two-hour talk here, and I can't do that, so <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll try to condense it. Um, so Revelation 10, the subtitle in this version says, The Mighty Angel with the Little Book. So let's start at verse 1, and I hope this makes sense. Um, We'll start here, but we'll go back to Genesis, and I hope all the little bows will be tied for you. So here we go, Revelation 10, verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, 
and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophet prophets. So then verse 8, John eats the little book. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So as you see here in verse 1, the term rainbow is used, and that is used in Genesis 9. And it is a sign, and it's used a couple of times in Scripture. This here um, speaks about how the Word is um, edifying to us and beneficial to us, but it should stir us up and churn us, and that's the reason um, for the distress inside of John. Um, And aren't we called, as Christians, believers, to take in the word, to eat it, to consume it, to let, a, let it change us, and to stir it up, or stir us up, to prophesy to our friends, our family, our coworkers, and to share the love that we know Jesus has for us. So let's go now to Revelation 4 and 5, and honest to God, There was no coincidence with this, but this is awesome how the Lord does work and shows us more of himself in the word. And that's why we're here, myself included, because I want to know more about him. And he definitely wants to reveal himself to us. And that's why we look to his word. So in Revelation 4, which is titled The Throne Room of Heaven. Verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one and that's capitalized, if you notice. One sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow, there's that word again, there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne 
were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And so let's continue into chapter 5, which is subtitled, The Lamb Takes the Scroll. Verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. What this um, what this speaks to me is the scroll is a type of a covenant and a contract, and Jesus is the one with all the power. He's the one that's able to overcome our sin. He is the one that's able to give us victory. By his shed blood, he's able to do everything that he does. And even here, we can see that he's able to open this, which um, is like a contract, or i.e. a covenant, and um, he's going to redeem us and the world through that. So, verse 5, but one of the other... We'll repeat that. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out to all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, and that's 
interesting because new is hopefully we'll get there um the lord wants us to be born again he wants us to know who he is he wants us to commit our hearts to him he wants to take away our sins it's our choice to do that and all we need to do is believe in him and on him and that's what he's asked us to do so they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to god by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our god and we shall reign on the earth verse 11 then i looked and i heard the voice of many angels around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them i heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever then the four creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever and to me this just um, gives more meaning to everlasting covenant which is another part of scripture that we'll look at today the lord intends for us to live forever forever um, as our spirit beings to understand that um, we sort of have to disassociate ourselves with our physical bodies and that's what the word also indicates to us that um, our bodies really profit nothing the word talks about exercise and um, various things and it's really our spiritual relationship with the lord that we should develop and we should be more keen on spending time with him putting time into the word and studying and this time um, that i've been afforded to stand up here has really been growing me uh, it's like incredible how time goes by after reading some chapters from here it's like where did that time go and believe me i was not that person bc days i wouldn't even pick this up i didn't even know what a bible was really i mean i sort of did i'd see it like maybe my grandparents house or other folks houses but never ever had any interest and um so the lord is willing to touch everybody every one of us and whatever way it takes he's very patient he's loving and kind and he's always waiting with outstretched arms to help us and to be uh, the rock on whom we rely on and i'm just very thankful that that happened to me I trust everyone in this room is saved. I know most of you, and I think you all are, but um, if you're not, ask the Lord to help you to understand what being born again and saved is, and anybody online too. 
It's the most wonderful gift. And it'll change your life if, when we allow him to come into our heart and to put his spirit into us, he will help us to understand his word. It's not as complicated as what we might think. There are a lot of details in here in some ways, but that's important. He, he does share details when it's important just to give context and to give background. Okay, um, let's turn to 1 John 5. So again, I'll just remind us we're going to get to Genesis 9, which talks about the rainbow and the covenant that God made with Noah. But Noah had to have faith in what God had told him. And by building the ark, he exercised that faith and he obeyed God. And there's lots that go, lots of things that go into faith and obedience. And um, I think here, um, you know, the worship songs tonight and uh, the fact that Jesus has the power to open the scroll and the power to save us, he died um, to satisfy the will of God his Father. Uh, that's key. And that um, we can see that here, I think, in First John 5 um, as an example. So, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So, again, going back, we'll get there to Genesis 9, the plan God had all along was to give eternal life. 
Let's turn to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 1. And we'll go down to about 20 or 21. Yeah. So, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with, with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And again, the worship songs tonight and even this morning speak to that. It's a simple sacrifice, just the sacrifice of singing to the Lord and thanking him. Verse 16, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. And then Paul asked for prayer. Pray for us. We are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, and see, that's where the covenant is mentioned, as everlasting, and that's where uh, it began in Genesis with Noah and God making a covenant. So let me read that again. So now may the God of grace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, he is worthy. He does deserve glory, and he deserves our honor and praise. Uh, 
Let's go to Ephesians 4. Start at verse 17. So what does the blood of Jesus do? It covers us, it washes away our sin, and it makes us new. It cleanses our hearts, our minds, our bodies, um, in willingness, of course, and in obedience. And that, again, is our choice to be willing and obedient, sometimes to sit still and to accept the fact that maybe we don't have all the answers and God does and to be patient and to give him time to show us. So in Ephesians 4, verse 17, it says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in, their, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, which can mean conscience, like their, their consciences are seared, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's it. That's the renewing of the blood and accepting his blood and being born again in the spirit. Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter 5. So through the covenant and through Jesus' blood, God can look upon us as clean, white as snow. And he promises a resurrection to be with him. And so in, let's read Second Corinthians 5. Um, yeah, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Now, I'll admit, uh, my flesh loves the world. I love a lot about the world, but God, in his ways, by his spirit, and by me partaking of his word and consuming it, he's changing me, he's changing my mind and my heart not to look at the world the way my flesh would desire it, but to look at the world as preparation and a stepping stone to go to be with him. So verse 3, oh, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, we'll do verse 2 again. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that morality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Guarantee, that's another word for covenant, contract. So, verse 6, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your consciences. Verse 12, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. And that's a theme, again, all the way out throughout the word is what is our heart condition and what is the position of our heart? Is it for God? Is it against God? Is it for the world or against the world? And I don't mean... Um, thinking that the world is a negative place, but again, it's just a stepping stone. It's a training ground for us. Um, we live and walk and breathe in this world just like everyone else, but we're supposed to be separated from it. So verse 13, For if we are beside ourselves, it is, is it, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer from themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. And of course, Paul is speaking of Jesus not being with them any longer on earth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, we'll finish this part of scripture here. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And again, that's the process, right? We were saved when we're saved, but then we begin the process of sanctification. And he works that out in us on an, on an individual basis. 
which is great because um, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to one another. I believe Pastor Rob talked about that this morning. You know, some people can be saved and sold out to Christ and have uh, much wealth in, in a worldly sense, but it's how their heart position is and how they choose to use that that's important. And same, if you don't have any real wealth according to the world, that doesn't matter. It's the wealth that's inside of your heart. It's what your relationship with Jesus is that really matters. And those who have a relationship with Jesus are wealthy and we're rich because he's promised us everlasting and eternal life. Let's go to John 6. We're getting there. Bear with me. <laughs> um, let's go to John 6, verse 27, and I'll just start. So it says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to him, or them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And here's Jesus sitting in front of people that incredibly people don't realize he's God in the flesh. And I know I wouldn't. I would have probably been asking the same questions right here, thinking about just what I could see right in front of me and not even, you know, recognizing that he was deity and he was God in man. But eventually they got there. So verse 30, uh, 34. So then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he, believes, he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he is giving me, meaning people, hearts, souls, that all of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And there's the promise. And that is the covenant that began at the beginning with Noah to 
give people the way, the way to heaven and the way to everlasting life. So keep going to the left. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Just a couple verses here. So Matthew 26, 26. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And that's it. He's proclaiming himself, but soon to be a sacrifice, the blood covering that began way back um, with Adam and Eve in the garden, needing skins to cover their, their nakedness, which, in other words, was their sin. They had recognized... Um, that um, they were naked, and that like changed the whole ball game. So um, God sent Jesus to pay for that um, sin, and He is the embodiment of the covenant himself. Let's go to math. Okay, let's go one chapter back to 25 to the left, meaning back, um, verse 31. So, chapter Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. This is kind of important because sheep are the followers of Jesus. Where does Jesus sit? He sits at God's right hand. So it's kind of like, i got to get my right and my left here. So it, it's like those who know where they're going, they are covered um, they're sealed, are over here. Those that don't know where they're going, they don't understand, are on the left. So verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So he's actually the embodiment of all issues and all problems, and he knows exactly from the, the end, or the beginning from the end, every single thing that we as his created children are going to experience here in this life. And he's taking all that upon himself. Let's skip down to 
verse 41. So then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous which is the right hand, will go into eternal life. And again, he embodies everyone. I mean, he, he takes the sin for those sins of the past, those of the present, and those of the future. And there's always an open door, always an open hand where Jesus is concerned. He's never shutting the door right now. Anyone that's living and breathing right now that... Um, is able, has an option, and they have a choice to make to allow Jesus to be their Savior. And he never shuts that down to anyone. Let's go to... Go to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. So this talks about the way. He gives us uh, a picture of what to do and what his, um, what his way and what his path is here. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. So it says, Enter, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come in, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So, an observation here, too, is it's not an exhortation from our Lord to be a judge, um, it's really just to be discerning and to understand when you're associating with people to kind of assess where are they coming from, what's their perspective, do they have a biblical worldview um, or not, and that can help you know, lead us in the spirit to bring up conversational topics and bring up the word, bring up our faith and such. Um, let's stay in chapter 7. Let's go to verse 24. So to me, this is a picture of Noah, and I think I've repeated this a lot. But um, Genesis is the foundational book of the Bible, and it has uh, references and application to every other book. 
So actually, um, like I said before, you know, at first, even as a saved baby, <laughs> um, like 17 years ago now, roughly, um, I didn't even open the Bible. I was listening to TV and radio pastors. And praise the Lord, he didn't allow me to hear too many ones that didn't really know the way. Um, but, you know, here it, it's like our Calvary pastors, all of them, exhort us and encourage us to get into the Word, and it's really important. This is like food, and that's the reference that Jesus uses a lot in the Scripture. You know, eat of him, eat this food, eat the bread of life. Uh, you know, it, it's just a good picture of the nourishment that we get from the Word, and also the picture of um, even all the way back to the trees in the garden, it's like there's good fruit and there isn't. There's fruit that isn't. And it's up to us to be wise and discerning. And in the Word, we are taught how to be discerning and how to, you know, um, how to buffer our choices and to make better choices. So this here in chapter 7, verse 24, I, I believe like Noah was relying on the Lord to give him guidance and direction. And, I mean, it's not to say that the Lord didn't already know that Noah would be obedient, but out of everyone on earth at that time, Noah was the most obedient, and he found favor in the Lord's eyes. And I think this speaks to this in a way that Noah knew he had to rely on a, a true source of information and he put his faith in the true source. And I believe, to me, this is what I'm being exhorted to do, is to put my faith in the rock and put it in Jesus alone. And that's what this speaks to here, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and floods came, and the wind blew, winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus has ended, had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Well, no kidding, he's God. So he's going to have ultimate authority. And any word that came out of his mouth, it must have been awesome. Like, he just had perfect responses for everything. And don't you wish you could have been there? just standing near him, being near him, in the crowd, hearing him talk. We will hear him one day, soon. Um, yeah, maybe today. Amen. <laughs> okay. Um, let's, see here. let's go to Ezekiel. So now we're heading into the Old Testament where 
the covenant covenants were made with some of the main characters like Noah, Abraham, but the Lord still gives a picture of himself and his throne. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, Ezekiel 1. start at verse 22. So Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22. So the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight one toward another. Each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. And that's God. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of or, or I'm sorry, fire with brightness all around it like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Let's keep going. I just can't wait. Okay, so when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice of one speaking. I knew this was going to happen, and I grabbed a Kleenex. <laughs> yep. So, chapter 2, and he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And as we're hearing as Pastor Rob goes through Second Kings, it's like they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Then sometimes they did good in the sight of the Lord, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's just like the soap opera of life. 
So verse 4, For they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for you for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And this speaks to me that the Lord is not going to leave us and forsake us. If our uh, hearts are willing to speak of the Lord, his spirit is going to build us up and he's going to help us. And that's what he's doing with Ezekiel here. So, verse 9. Now, when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Hmm, a book. We just talked about that a little while ago. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Chapter 3, verse 1. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. That sounds familiar. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words. Not his, not Ezekiel's words, but my words. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel, which was Ezekiel's own family. Not too many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent to you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. And the Lord is exhorting us to do just that, to just absorb everything that he's trying to tell us and teach us and to just daily take in or moment by moment to take him in, whatever we have time. Our pastors here exhort us to take time, whether it's five minutes, an hour, whatever it is. We won't... um, we won't not benefit from taking in any of God's word. So, hmm. let's go to Isaiah 25, verse 8. 
actually, let's back up to 6. So Isaiah 25, verse 6. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. In other words, he'll tear the veil, which is what Jesus did. He will, verse 8, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And that's what we have to look forward to. And again, that's uh, pointing to the theme of the covenant, covenant. And God will not forsake his covenant with us, with believers. Um, let's go to... Proverbs 12, verse 11. In um, about midway or two-thirds down, chapter 9 in Genesis, Noah becomes a farmer. So here in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, it talks about a farmer. So we'll go verse 11 to 28. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The root, so we've heard a lot about the root of Jesse and David and or Jesse was the root of, or yeah, <laughs> sorry, getting confused here. But uh, Jesus is the root, and he's the vine, and we are the branches. I mean, there are so many pictures of Scripture that tell us to cling to Jesus. You know, he, from him stems our life. So verse 14, a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. And that verse there uh, speaks to a little bit farther down in Genesis 9, where uh, Ham um, observes his father's nakedness. And I don't think we'll get there tonight, but... Um, Lock this into your memory banks for later. So verse 17, He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. No grave trouble overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. 
Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. This is our good word. This is our uh, psychiatrist, you know, uh, manual here. Um, we, we don't need doctors and, um, you know, counsel per se. We have good counsel here. I'm not saying it's not right to seek other help, but the first help that we should seek is right here in this word. So the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Verse 27, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. And then verse 28, in the way of righteousness is life, and in its path there is no death. And that speaks to Jesus. Couple more. Bear with me, please. Uh, let's go to Psalm 145. And our uh, our daily prayer chain has been sharing some of Psalm 145, and I'll admit that that was an encouragement and has been an encouragement to me. So I thank you, brother, for putting that um, to us. And... Uh, there's parallels here. So Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another. And I see... You know, from Adam and Eve, Noah came through generations, and Noah somehow was told and actually walked with God and heard from God, and he took everything to heart. So in generations, the word can be passed down. Faith can be passed down. Um, faith can be exercised. So one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. We're, we're his saints, you know. If you're a believer, you're a saint. 
They shall speak of glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout the nations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. And again, that's just a confirmation of how good the Lord is and how he will uphold his people and his children. Okay. Let's go to Genesis. <laughs> Gone a few minutes over what I wanted, but... Okay, Genesis... So, Genesis 17, and again, we're working backwards, but I just wanted to show you that there's a systematic plan that God has, and he's, he's just working things out for our good through all the Old Testament saints even. And so the Old Testament is just important as the new. So, chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be all be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, and Canaan we'll see, came out of Ham. So we'll see that as we get back into 9. As an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Notice how he says, my covenant. It's my covenant. He's emphasizing that all the responsibility falls on him. All the terms fall on him. Abraham doesn't have to do anything but accept it. And that's exactly what Jesus does with us. We don't have to do anything but accept his sacrifice and his atoning blood. This covenant, I'm sorry, verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised 
and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live for you. Ishmael was his first son. And there's method to my madness here. I'm going backwards as if the youngest to the oldest. There's... Um, some pictures in the scripture and in chapter 9 it's interesting God talks about um, Shem, Ham and Japheth. Japheth Japheth was the oldest and typically in the culture the oldest inherits everything but for some reason and I think it becomes apparent in here there's always something for the younger one and there's always something for the new the newest, let's say, um, as if, or kind of like what we're talking about here, the new covenant in his blood. So there was like a, a sense and a hint of things to come. Um, so verse 18, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live for you. And then God said, No, Sarah your wife will bear you a son, and you should call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. So even though God has other plans, he's still in the blessing business. So behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. Verse 21, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this same time next year. And now let's go to Genesis 10, and I'll explain that lineage. So if you go to Genesis 10... Verse 2, it says, these are the sons of Noah. I should, uh, we'll read one. So verse 1, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. So verse 2 of chapter 10, the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Medai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. Then we'll go down to verse 20. So those were the sons of Japheth. That's the oldest son. And 
then verse 20, these were the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages in their land and their nations. And the children were also born to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. And there it explains. So chapter or verse 22, the sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphasad, Lud, and Aram. And I just found it interesting that through, like, let's see. So now we get to chapter 9. Let's quick go to chapter 9. <laughs> so chapter 9, verse 1. I know I read through this last week, but um, it was kind of a preparation for, or last month, but that's a preparation for this month, this message tonight. So chapter 9, verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. This is not the first time covenant is mentioned, it's the second. And in chapter 6, verse 18, is actually when the, the first time that God talks to Noah, or talks about covenant with Noah before the flood comes. But this here is after. So. Okay, so verse 9, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Which is verse 13. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. And for chapter, the end of chapter 8 is just a beautiful picture of Noah understanding and recognizing that God deserves worship and he is holy. Um, I'll finish with this. Chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So here it's almost as if the Lord in the Trinity, God, Son, and Spirit, are making a pact within themselves. And that, to me, has to be like the ultimate, that's like the strongest contract you could ever have. So verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So that's God's promise. And thank you so much for bearing with me. But I hope and pray that each one of us recognizes that God is faithful. He's loving. He has a great plan for each one of us. And he's working it out right now. Even in the trials of our lives, our jobs, our families, our relationships, whatever, our health, physical issues, God is not anywhere away from us he's always with us and he just wants us to reach out to him and continue to rely on him because he is our rock but there's also a beautiful place he is on the throne he's clothed in rainbows and when we get to see him i know it's going to blow us away the words here in the scripture are you know great and they can give us a picture but I'm positive it doesn't compare to what the real McCoy is going to be. So let's pray and close out. So, Lord, thank you so much for this time. And, Lord, thank you for revealing yourself through your word. Help us, Lord, to just dive in and, in essence, to get lost in you, but within the boundaries of you, Lord, to know that... Um, you're the good shepherd and when any one of us strays out of the flock of a hundred Lord you'll leave the 99 and go for one we just thank you Lord that you've captured our hearts Lord those of us that have, have been saved and Father I pray that anyone in the hearing of my voice and of your words Lord that your voice actually came through and pricked someone's heart, Lord, if someone's listening tonight that isn't saved, that they were touched by you, would recognize their need for you, would acknowledge Jesus as the answer to everything, to every issue, every problem, 
and that your love just endures forever, Father. I just thank you and praise you. Pray that if any word was not spoken truthfully or rightfully, Lord, that you would correct that. And pray, Lord, that my brothers and sisters here tonight would walk away encouraged and would continue to seek you and seek your face as I ask for me too, Lord. Help us all just to keep walking with you down that narrow path. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.